Good morning and welcome to Tee It Up Talk, real relevant and applicable conversation about hot topics and more. Well, I'm excited to have on today my wife, uh, the always wonderful Jennifer Saunders, uh, who's a nurse practitioner with a focus uh, in sickle cell. And and the reason she's on today with me is uh, that's what we want to kind of highlight. September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month and um, you know, it's very important with Tee It Up that we find different issues, topics to kind of advocate for and to spread the word about and really just to create that conversation. And so sickle cell is definitely one of those uh, hot topics and one of those uh, things that we want to get behind and advocate and learn more about. So I'm excited to share this conversation with her today, along with some some great tea. I think I'm going with Earl Grey and she has something over there that um, she's enjoying as well this morning. Um, but we'll kick it off. I, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> really what sickle cell is, uh, just to give you my understanding of, of sickle cell in a brief snapshot. Uh, sickle cell disease uh, is an inherited blood disorder. Um, it basically um, it's within the red blood cells. Uh, many can become sickle-shaped or hardened. Um, and if someone's born with sickle cell, usually most, both parents uh, have the sickle cell trait or one or more one of the parents have a sickle cell trait and the other parent may have some other uh, abnormal hemoglobin trait. Uh, and one thing that I just want to make sure that we all understand is sickle cell disease is not contagious. So you can't just catch it from someone. And um, Jen, I just want to jump in with you on some of those facts um, uh, or kind of the the synopsis that I have on my understanding of sickle cell. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that or talk a little bit more about the history possibly of sickle cell? So, yes. So sickle cell is an inherited disorder of the red blood cells. Um, that is correct. And, and yes, it is not contagious. Um, usually there is both parents may have the sickle cell trait. Um, and if that occurs, then there's a 25% chance of those two individuals having a child with sickle cell. So um, it's important to know your status. Um, they Now there's newborn screening. And so a lot more people know what their status is. Um, but you have to think that didn't start until what, around 1972 is when they put in an act about doing newborn screening. Um, and even even after that date, um, there still weren't the, the screeners um, available for everybody. Um, but just to also give a little history of about sickle cell disease, um, it was actually discovered in 1910. Um, so this disorder um, was abbreviated, what we call sickle cell disease is abbreviated as SCD. Um, it had been present in Africa for many, many years. Um, but when we say 1910, it wasn't discovered um, into America until 1910. Um, it was a young man named uh, Walter Clement Noel. He was from the island of Granada. Um, he was a dental student studying in Chicago, and so he went to a man by the name of Dr. James B. Herrick, 
with complaints of having these pain episodes and symptoms of anemia. Um, keep in mind, Herrick was a cardiologist and so not too interested in what Noel's was saying or not too interested in his case. So he assigned a resident by the name of Dr. Ernest Irons to the case. And Irons examined Noel's blood under the microscope and saw that his red blood cells were the shape of a sickle. Um, and so when Herrick saw this in the chart, he then became interested um, because he saw that this might be a new unknown disease, um, something that, you know, that needed to be studied. And he subsequently published a paper in one of the medical journals in which he used the term sickle shaped cells. And that's how we have the term now sickle cell disease. Gotcha. So, and I heard you mention anemia. So I know a lot of times we hear that sickle cell anemia, uh, and that was because of kind of what you were explaining, the anemia that this person, I guess, had or was working or dealing with. Um, so that makes sense. So yeah, I do see it a lot as sickle cell disease or SCD. Are they just moving away from uh, the term disease possibly because of some of the a stigma that goes along with it, or what's your thoughts on that? Because you are now seeing people mainly say sickle cell versus sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia. Um, so when you think about or when you say the word disease, yeah, there is a stigma because um, you think disease, oh my God, there's something wrong or um, I, I can catch this from them. Um, so a lot of terms, but it's still one in the same sickle cell disease, sickle cell anemia, um, sickle cell. I think um, that term um, is used still in a majority of uh, cases. Gotcha. No, totally understand that. That's that's good to know just because people will hear different terminology, but it's exactly the same. So mm -hmm. that's good to know. And I know you talked about the introduction of this. Um, into the U.S. or being found or discovered, so to speak, around 1910, 1912. And, uh, and it was with an African-American, uh, basically is what I'm understanding as well. And uh, I lead into that with saying, um, he saw this person was from Grenada. So the person was from African descent, but from a different uh, nation there. So definitely, definitely understand. Um, and, and I I kind of lead with that because, you know, I'm looking at some of the facts and it's like one in 13 or one in 12 African-Americans carry the sickle cell trait uh, and many don't know they have it. Um, so is there a push to maybe have some, some more testing or better understanding about if you're a carrier of the sickle cell trait or not? Yes. So uh, newborn screening, as I mentioned before, um, is pretty much mandatory now. Um, like I said, uh, years ago, this was not a common test. And so there would be individuals with the sickle cell trait that did not know they had the trait. Um, and so they would get with somebody else who also had the trait. Um, and that's when they would have a child or um, there would be uh, someone with sickle cell disease and they will uh, have a child with someone that has a sickle cell trait. Um, the push is that everyone knows their status. So if a female, um, or if there's a couple that has, that becomes pregnant, um, 
and and especially for those individuals that have sickle cell it's important that your that your partner is tested immediately i would say even get tested before you decide to have a family that way you know um what the status is um and then that lessens the chance of um you having a child with sickle cell if that's what you choose to do gotcha yeah i mean because i'm seeing other stats is like twenty four thousand babies are born with uh scd uh, annually in the u.s so um and then an estimated 100,000 in the u.s have sickle cell uh disease so um so definitely those numbers are high so it looks like testing uh is going to be key but what i'm noticing though i guess testing is uh ramping up very well i'm noticing that the average age of diagnosis now is under five months so they're catching it early so what does that uh mean does is that does that help with uh the treatments or does that help is that helping with uh, uh individuals with sickle cell living longer lives than historically they have uh, can you tell us a little bit about that yes yeah, so historically um sickle cell disease was almost like a death sentence um doctors would tell parents that you know don't expect for your child to live past five then it was don't expect them to live past 10 and then it was 18 and then it was 21 um but now with all the research and um the new uh treatments out here now uh people with living with sickle cell disease are living longer um even still the the average age or life expectancy is in the upper 40s um, but still, there are individuals who are well into their 70s now, awesome. um, actually in their 80s. So people are living longer, I think, with the treatments, with now people being more focused on um, their healthy eating, getting more exercise, um, being more aware of their status at an earlier age. Um, it has helped a great deal. And I know African-Americans particularly um, have, well, in the U.S., but that's why I say Mm -hmm. African-Americans, seem to be the leading uh, group uh, that's diagnosed with sickle cell. And it looks like uh, Latinos have the second most common uh, incidences in the U.S. as well. Um, That doesn't exclude individuals that either may be considered white or from uh, not from directly um, African nation or something of that nature. So, uh, could you tell me a little bit more about who that may affect? So sickle cell disease, um, affects people of African descent. So that includes people from different African nations. It, um, includes African Americans It includes people of Mediterranean descent. Um, you have Asians, you have, um, people from Greek, uh, your Spanish population, and also your white population too, although it may not be that many, but there are white individuals um, that have sickle cell disease. And um, one interesting thing I always think about um, is that now with a lot of interracial relationships, you have to think about if you, um, if you're a person of white origin and you um, marry someone of African descent, 
um, and that person has sickle cell trait, then um, there's a possibility that your child can have the trait as well. And so your child has to be um, monitored and you have to make sure that whenever they plan on having children, that they're with someone um, that they know their trait as well. Because keep in mind, people, two people with the trait can have a child with full-blown sickle cell disease. Gotcha. No, that's, uh, those are some great um, numbers and great facts there to keep in mind. And uh, you know, as I think about um, individuals in general with sickle cell, you think a lot about, <clears throat> you hear the term crises a lot. Um, that, you know, they're having a crisis. Could you help uh, help us understand a little bit more about what that means or what that could possibly entail? Yeah, so when we talk about a crisis, we're talking about a pain crisis or a vaso-occlusive crisis. And that's whenever um, the red blood cells or the sickle cells, red blood cells and sickle cells are traveling through the blood vessels and what happens is those sickle cells, um, they start clumping together because like you said before, those sickle cells, they're C-shaped and they're hard. And so when they're traveling through the blood vessel, they tend to clump together. And what happens is they occlude that part of the blood vessel. And that's what causes inflammation and causes pain. And so if you think about it, um, this the same type of thing happens in someone who has a heart attack, okay? So there's a part of that muscle loses its oxygen supply, and that causes a lot of pain. So if you can think about with sickle cell, there's blood all throughout their body. So they can have this pain crisis anywhere in their body. And I always keep it, I, I think about it as them having like little heart attacks throughout their body. And it can be in their legs, their arms, their head, their back. It could be anywhere where they have this pain, their chest. Gotcha. So and I was kind of looking at some of those things, some of the complications that chronic, severe and unpredictable pain, um, anemia, frequent uh, infections, fatigue, uh, lung tissue damage, kidney disease, uh, strokes, blood clots, uh, damage to hip joints, skin ulcers. I've seen that a lot and I hear a lot about the skin ulcers that they have to work through or, or have to be treated. And then, of course, we talked a little bit about pregnancy. There's some possibly some difficulty with pregnancy. Um, so uh, individuals with sickle cell who have been diagnosed, they, they have to find ways to stay healthy. Yes. Um, and. Um, and those things involve things like pain management, uh, blood transfusions, uh, self-care, including eating well, exercise, and I hear drinking water yes. quite a bit. Could you mm -hmm. give me a little, I remember we, uh, <laughs> uh, you invited me to a conference, I think it was last year, and I remember the gentleman that was there was the president of Howard University. Uh, he spoke uh, and did an amazing job, and his ability to tell his story was uh, second to none. It really helped me understand and really help uh, push me to continue to advocate for those uh, who've been diagnosed with this disease. But he talked particularly a, a lot about drinking a lot of water. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit and help us understand why that's so important? Yeah. So water 
is so important. Um, and, and not just for sickle cell, for everybody. Uh, water is, is uh, it keeps you hydrated. It keeps those cells uh, hydrated as plump as they can be. Uh, because you have to keep in mind with an abnormal, so let's start with a normal hemoglobin. Um, a normal hemoglobin is round, is soft, and normally it lasts about 90 to 120 days. That's a normal hemoglobin or a normal red blood cell. With sickle cell, those cells only last 10 to 20 days. And so that's when the anemia comes in. That's because they don't have the enough oxygen carried out throughout their body. Um, but water, what it does is it helps to keep that person hydrated because if they do become dehydrated, um, that's, that causes inflammation and the inflammation is what leads to a pain crisis. So a lot of times when people come to the emergency room with a pain crisis, um, what the first thing they usually do is just give them like boluses of fluid okay, to get them back hydrated. Um, and, um, so water is very important. Uh, one key thing that I tell some of my patients is that if you think about it, if you drink two bottles of water, um, that's a thousand mLs of fluid. That's one bag of fluid. So they can save themselves a trip going to the emergency room because they they're dehydrated if they just drink water every day and we always tell them if you can drink between 100 ounces to a gallon of water a day um that will keep um those cells hydrated gotcha so that that is key um like you say an everyday walk of life I mean, we should be drinking more water just in oh, general yeah. even those yes. who may not have sickle cell and yes. uh, you know to me part of the challenge uh, with continuing to move forward and find a cure and, and the particular understanding of the conversation with uh, about sickle cell is a lot of the myths that you hear uh, regarding sickle cell um, or individuals who diagnose with sickle cell I should say and one of the big myths uh, is because of the pain uh, there are many times they have to find different ways to deal with the pain uh, and some of that includes having to use, uh, have them be medicated or use dr certain types of drugs that are prescribed. And so we hear a lot, uh, all individuals with SCD uh, or sickle cell disease are drug addicts. And I, I want to dispel that myth now. Um, and I want to help, if you could help us help people understand, and this is, this, uh, you know, that that's definitely, that's not so, I mean, anyone could utilize drugs if they have some type of pain and become uh, addicted, but there's, there is no, uh, nothing that's going to say that just because you have sickle cell, you uh, become addicted to drugs or something of that nature. Um, so I, I want to help dispel that myth, not only to the public, but to me, that is a myth within the uh, healthcare uh, uh, groups as well, because, it, you know, when you talk to people with sickle cell, it's always that feeling of, you know, they, they come in, they're, they're trying to understand or help people understand their pain and what they're dealing with. And then those who aren't used to working with people with sickle cell have uh, this preconceived notion that it's all about drug seeking. Uh, and some people are, I mean, I want to digress. Some people are doing that, but 
people do that for all different types of disorders, diseases, and things of that nature. So I just wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about that and how we can help overcome that stigma. Um, and I think those things will help people be a little more open as they come forth with their sickle cell diagnosis or uh, helping them communicate or talk in a way that could help move them away from possibly uh, seeking some of those drugs that could be more addictive. Um, and then, you know, or helping other uh, individuals in the healthcare field maybe understand other options available versus prescribing those more addictive drugs uh, for individuals with sickle cell. I, I know that was a lot. So however you want to dissect <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that could be, you know, so totally up to you. Yeah. So um, you bring up a great point. And um, I think this is an issue that most individuals living with sickle cell have. A lot of times, um, sickle cell patients won't even go to the emergency room because of how they um, know they will be treated. Um, the stigma, uh, the biases, they just don't want to deal with that. And um, I w- would like to say that um, individuals with sickle cell disease are not out here looking for drugs because they just want to have it. They truly have pain. They, this is the hallmark of sickle cell disease is pain. Um, And like I, and that's why I said before about when they have a vaso-occlusive crisis, those cells in their body, which is all over because blood flows everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when that occlusion happens, they are in true pain. And so what we have to do is look at each individual when they um, enter into the healthcare system, um, look at each individual separately and, and treat um, their pain. So a lot of people say, well, they're drug seeking. Well, if you had a headache and you went to your cabinet and you were looking for ibuprofen to help your headache or Tylenol, you can say that that's drug seeking too. So these little names that they put on people with sickle cell, drug seekers, um, frequent flyers, you know, they, we hear all these names. Um, but like I said, sickle cell disease is uh, a disease that, that is based on, like, there's a lot of pain associated with it. Um, now, as far as the medications, a before I get to that, I also want to say that most of the time, um, before someone comes into the emergency room seeking care for their crisis, they've been at home days or weeks trying to treat this pain on their own. Okay. So they're doing the things that we've told them to do. Drink your water, take your medicine, take take your pain medicine, take your ibuprofen, use a heating pad, um, try to relax, try to rest. They've done all those things before they actually come to the emergency room. So by the time they get there, I mean, the pain is, is, you know, a 10 by that time, 10 out of 10. Um, now as far as the medications that we use to treat pain, um, it is sometimes necessary to use some of the stronger narcotics. 
um, just to get their pain under control. Um, and that doesn't mean, and, and I just want to make clear this up too, that not every sickle cell disease patient is on a strong narcotic. There are some patients that just take ibuprofen or Tylenol. There are some people that don't, don't take anything. So I want to make sure I clear up that myth because not all sickle cell patients are on a strong narcotic. Um, however, it is needed at times to, um, to help with their pain. Um, and then you said something. About well, well, I think I was alluding to that. Do you think sometimes those who may not be, uh, used to dealing with, or, uh, haven't seen a lot of sickle cell cases, uh, may lean to prescribing something heavier before working through other options? from a medication standpoint, or uh, what's your thoughts on that? Maybe not. Well, I think that um, most patients know what they need mm -hmm. when they come into the emergency room. They've been through this. They know uh, what helps them when they come in the mm -hmm. emergency room um, or doctor's office, either one. Um, I think now as providers, we're trying to make sure that we're just not treating pain right but we're treating the actual disease gotcha. and that's what it boils down to so i like to use the term uh let me get to the root of the problem like what is really causing you to be in pain versus just like increasing your dose like giving you so mm -hmm. much medicine and um i like to let let's first find out why are you hurting is it because you're dehydrated is it right. because you have an infection is it because you know you're so stressed out you lost your job you broke up with your girlfriend you um i mean your baby's been sick there are so many reasons there are so many triggers why patients have these crises um so i i like to get to the root of the problem first um and find out what is really causing the pain um because if it's an infection then if you clear up the infection then the pain mm -hmm. will likely go away quicker without you having to add on more narcotics so it, it sounds like which is great uh, that uh, now uh, more providers are taking a total uh health approach to dealing with sickle cell versus just treating that um, the pain itself is that what I'm hearing? Is that kind of what you're saying there? Yeah. So I think we're trying to really look at take a more holistic approach mm -hmm. um, to care, and which I think is with any type of condition is how we should uh, approach this. Um, it's important to look at the whole psychosocial uh, part of of sickle cell. Um, you have to think a lot of patients uh, with sickle cell, they may not work, um, which can be stressful. Um, they may not have the income to uh, pay for certain things like their rent or their light bill or even groceries for that. Um, and then you also have to think about they're dealing with this chronic illness um, that a lot of people just don't know about. And so 
uh, that makes them a little nervous that people don't know about this, about what they're dealing with or what they're living with on a daily basis. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like just in general in the community is a lot more education that needs to happen so that um, everyone's feeling a little more comfortable and understands uh, when they may see someone in crises or hear about that, they can uh, um, understand and possibly empathize in a way that could help uh, continue to push this person forward in a positive way versus yes. some of these negative things. And yes. when you're talking about that a holistic approach, I mean, I've noticed there are some uh, some foods that are great for individuals to eat that have uh, been diagnosed with sickle cell. Things it says eat from the rainbow. Oh, things yeah. like your your veggies, your grains. Uh, so such things like eggs, fish, chicken, beans, tofu, mm -hmm. uh, those types of things. Uh, they says get plenty of calcium rich foods with low fat and uh, fat free milk type things, yogurt, cheese. So cool, leafy green vegetables mm -hmm. uh, are great. So. Those are those are great things that we should all have in our diet, not just, <laughs> yes. you know, if you're diagnosed with sickle cell. But I do understand that taking that holistic approach is important. And and part of that, like you say, I think that stigma creates uh, some other things that makes it difficult for individuals that are diagnosed with sickle cell to have access to things like um, uh, mental health uh, options or uh other holistic things such as possible um massage therapy or acupuncture or even have access to things you know the healthy foods that they need mm -hmm. to eat mm -hmm. uh, because those things cost um so uh, i do understand that or employment um mm -hmm. you know a lot of these individuals would love to work but because of these crises their employer doesn't necessarily understand yes. uh that some of these are some of the things that they would have to to deal with but that doesn't mean that this person can't do the job can't do it well and is not a loyal employee they're yes. just um it's amazing to me that three quarters of those applicants get denied because um like you, we were just saying most jobs i mean they may let you be out you know about three or four times but when it becomes a problem or it occurs often then they're ready to let you go and so then this individual with sickle cell is stuck without a job um so they need to have be able to survive and um i think uh being empathetic uh, put yourself in their shoes um and just see you know have a compassion gotcha and um as we move forward, uh, this is kind of the moment we call it, the tee it up uh, moment. Uh, kind of give us, tee it up for us. What can we do to help continue to advocate and move forward uh, the plight for individuals who are diagnosed with sickle cell or how can we continue to bring awareness? Um, I think we need to continue to have platforms like this where we get the word out and not just uh, Sickle Cell Awareness Month, but I appreciate you actually having this as one of your topics. Um, but I think that we got we have to continue to educate ourselves. I think we have to continue to uh, get tested. Um, so making sure that we know our status. And if you don't know, then I think you know, you should get tested, even for um, 
older individuals. What I have uh, learned uh, working with sickle cell is that um, a lot of individuals were told when they were younger that they only had a trait. And then as they got older, come to realize that they actually had full sickle cell disease. Um, so knowing your status, educating, advocating, um, and just being um, open-minded, um, not being so judgmental, I think, um, is what's going to help improve things. Um, and Awesome. No, 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 that's great. And I think I, I left the question out, something I did want to ask. Um, can't leave out um, this crazy 2020. We have what we call COVID-19 or the coronavirus. How yeah. has that impacted um, individuals um, uh, that have a diagnosis of sickle cell? Yeah, so um, what we're telling um, most of our patients is that like what the whole country is hearing pretty much is to protect yourself. Um, because you do have sickle cell disease, you are more vulnerable. Uh, it puts you in a high risk of having complications. Um, and so we encourage anybody with sickle cell to make sure you are wearing your mask when you go out in the public, we want to make sure that you are practicing the social distancing, um, make sure you're washing your hands often, using um, hand sanitizer. If, uh, if you're on a job and you're around a lot of people, then maybe talking to your employer to see if working remotely is an option for you. Um, but we just want you to be very, very careful because like I said, it's the complications from having COVID-19 uh, can be worse for someone with sickle cell disease. Gotcha. And, and I appreciate that because I know you guys have created a more of a educational piece around COVID versus a panic piece around COVID. So I've definitely uh, watched you uh, encourage individuals to live their life mm -hmm. through COVID, but to uh, be cognizant and and do it in a safe way. Yes, and so I think yes. that's important. Yes, because COVID nineteen, um, when this first thing first came out and everybody was told to stay at home, uh, it, it it did bring panic and a lot of people got depressed and um, became anxious because they just didn't know. We I mean nobody knew anything about this virus. Um, but now I think um, with constant education about how to, how to take care of yourself. And I also want to include too, not just with all the social distancing and I'm wearing your mask. I also make sure I emphasize stay hydrated. So drinking that water is very important. Not a lot of sodas, not a lot of juice because they all have sugar in it which can cause inflammation and we know inflammation is what leads to a crisis. So that's why we also concentrate on what, like drinking so much water. And also, like you said before, eating a healthy diet. So eating at least five servings of fruits and vegetables, eating your lean meats. Um, I don't even know. Well, some red meat is okay, but I will say that it's harder to digest 
and can cause some constipation issues. So um, eating chicken, turkey, fish, um, eating a more healthy diet, and also self-care. So when I say self-care, that means mentally, emotionally, physically, in any any way, spiritually, um, it includes all of that. Um, so self-care is very important. And I think, um, a lot of times we need to manage our stress better. If there's something that you can't control, it's not worth worrying about. If you can't change that situation, you cannot worry about it. And, um, and I think sometimes that's what gets um, some of our patients in trouble is because stress. And we have to learn how to deal with that. Um, but yeah, self-care, get a massage. Awesome. Yeah. And hey, that sounds great for, for all of us. Yes. Definitely. Definitely mm-hmm. self-care. Uh, well, I appreciate you joining us today and uh, yeah. giving us the opportunity to learn a little bit more about sickle cell and continue to bring awareness. And I agree, we have to do more around this, not strictly uh, sickle cell awareness month, but, uh, you know, 24, seven, 365 days a year, we definitely need to make sure that we're bringing awareness uh, to this disease and um, have to leave with one cool fact. Uh, We are teeing it up and, you know, we love tea here on tea it up talk and, Uh, One thing I have learned that green tea extract and aged garlic extract is uh, good for sickle cell. It has some things to do with uh, effectively inhibiting the uh, vitro dehydration of sickle cell, sickle red blood cells. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit more about that and understand that a little bit more and see if we can have a conversation around tea as we tee it up. And again, thank you for joining us. And we just appreciate the opportunity to just have a conversation, real relevant and applicable. And as we always say, and as what you make, basically what we lead with and leave with and what we believe is faith forward with grace, mercy, and love. God bless. Everybody have a great one.